0: All right, three, two,
1: one, clap. <laughs> oh man, I'll count it off, okay? Okay, okay. all right. Okay. it's gonna be it's gonna be three two one clap. I'm gonna do it kind of quickly, all right? Okay, okay, three, two, one, clap.
2: Okay, so here's what's happening guys. I'm clapping on the word clap and Zach is clapping after the word
0: clap okay I'll clap on the word clap
1: there we go okay one more time okay. alright <laughs> right. Three, two, one, 2, clap okay I'll make that work
2: you can make that work if producer Nick can figure it out I'm sure you can figure it out <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus podcast, a current twelve day dive into the wonder and amazement of the Christmas season. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is Zach on a rack, Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm I'm good. I'm doing good. I tried to make it a play like Elf on a Shelf, but it's like Zach on a rack. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Now that, that makes like- sense.
2: Because that was your worst one I've whoa, heard the whole time.
1: Have, who's that? Have we introduced that voice yet? Wait, he, that means he listens to the podcast. Oh,
0: oh that's true. We're happy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> the voice you hear is our special day twelve guest, who is the other half of Internet's most famous priest podcast. That's not named Catholic stuff. You should know, clerically speaking he's Pittsburgh's O.K.S. Okay priest and he has the belt to prove it Father Anthony Sharapa.
2: The champ is here. What's up guys? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas,
1: Merry Christmas to you. Christmas, this Father. is the the last day we get to celebrate the wonder and amazement of the Christmas season. But, nah, well, but okay
2: that's your... Okay, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I know where you're going
0: with this. Well, no, I I want to hear from you. Like I mean, so the l- liturgically like the feast ends, you know, 12 days it's over Epiphany's tomorrow. But like we're going to keep the tree up until February 2nd, right?
2: Yeah. That's what you do. If you're a really cool Catholic,
1: do you, okay. Father Anthony, do you do that? Do the, do you force the parish in Pittsburgh to do that?
2: No, I can't force the parish to do anything (laughs) because I'm a parochial vicar (laughs) and I have no power, but my meager Christmas decorations will stay up until then. Um, That's something that I learned in seminary that I think the, the Vatican, they keep their crush up for that long. So it's, not the christmas season but it's still kind of this thing we do i don't know if it's like from the old calendar or what it is but all i know is that if you're a good catholic that's what you do
1: um okay you said the old calendar which is slight tangent since you're appearing on this podcast uh we do have a few rules we have to podcast ad orientum and we have to do it in latin
2: wow okay i can do half of that pretty well okay how to do ad-or-antum. Yeah,
1: you're you are the you're not the I don't want to say you're the founder of the tradening, but you are the uh, promoter and the, the gut. I am the
2: prophet of the great tradening. Yeah, the prophet. Yeah, I, the, did the not, great I did not. I did not Yep, I did not create it. I simply it, it fell upon me <laughs> the weight and the burden mm-hmm. of this message, and so I, I continued to preach it. I'm pretty sure we talk about it in some way pretty much every episode of Clerically speaking. Because it's on the minds and hearts of all of the faithful,
1: it it is, and I do notice. I've heard more people start to talk about some of the things you have, which I do actually, I do really appreciate, and I appreciate the way you guys discuss them. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem. It is. It is the twelfth day after all. I have to give you a gift of some sort. The gift of uh, um, appreciating you.
2: Mm, I feel
0: very affirmed.
1: Okay, good. Nice. The the key is with the tradning is you've got to
0: push through. So you got to you got to embrace it. You got to become fully trad, all right? Um and then you you keep going and you eventually get to ultramontanism. <laughs> where I've arrived. Okay? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm quite there yet. I'm on I know, the journey. not yet. Yeah. So yeah, I mean <laughs> or we could call it papalism. um i'm i'm <laughs> workshopping new terms but okay you've got to go through Tradyland to get there yeah okay?
1: you have to spend so. you have to spend a good two to six months critiquing the way women dress you have to say it's not modest enough and then wow and then once you get through that it's it's a slog it's really hard you have to <laughs> you have to persevere
2: uh, so that's, I mean, actually, it, it brings up kind of what Father Harrison and I try to do mm-hmm. on Clerical Pod when we talk about liturgical, spiritual stuff. Right. Is how do we get back to these traditions that have fed the church in a way that we're not being jerks about it? Because one thing that I run up against all the time, because we've had very um, other young, zealous priests who have tried to kind of force these ideas through, and they've been jerks about it, mm-hmm. it kind of paints everything with a bad name. So, like, if you see a priest in the diocese wearing a cassock, like, oh, it's one of those priests. And so what we're trying to do is, like, no, 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 This, these ideas are good, and you can do it in a good and loving and pastoral way. Uh,
0: so that's what we, we but try not, to not do. not in pants. What's that? Not in pants.
1: <laughs>
0: just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> What Our our priest always said that people with the most important jobs were skirts, and he said judges, mothers,
1: and priests.
2: I like that. There's something to that.
1: Yeah. Okay, so one thing uh, we all can agree on, and uh, I say all as a blanket term, not just the three of us, but I would hope that we all can agree on is today's day. It's 12 drummers... uh, I'm not going to cut that. I'm just going to say uh 12 drummers drumming, and it's the 12 points of doctrine in the creed, the creed we all profess as Catholics at every Mass and even before the Rosary, before we, at the beginning of the Rosary. Uh, yeah, I think this is the one at the beginning of the Rosary, not so much the one at Mass. I, I kn- oh,
2: so we're doing the Apostles' Creed, not the Nicene Creed?
1: Yeah. Yeah, with the 12 points. Yeah, you cut... Ca-
2: well, I'm going to make sure.
1: Okay. Yeah, you... uh You caught me there, Zach. I I realized it as I was saying it, but I just kept plowing through, which is, which is another thing about the tradening is you just have to plow through with confidence. Even if you're saying something wrong, that's the other, (laughs) that's the,
2: that's the key to most things in life. Yeah. That's how you get through seminary too. That's Mm -hmm. how you get uh, through some of your homilies sometimes. Yes.
1: All right. So yeah, it's the 12 points in the, the apostles creed. Um, i'm gonna i'll I'll run through them here for I'll, i'll try and run through them quickly uh it's the first one is i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth number two is and in jesus christ his only son our lord third who was conceived by the power of the holy spirit and born of the virgin mary four he suffered under pontius pilate was crucified died and was buried 5. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. 6. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 7. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. 8. I believe in the Holy Ghost. 9. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. 10. The forgiveness of sins. 11. The resurrection of the body. And 12 and in life everlasting. Um, Amen. Thank (laughs) thank you. The one thing... Okay, one that popped out to me when I was reading through them is uh, number five, he descended into hell and the third day he rose again from the dead. Now, these points of doctrine are things that we believe and they're confirmed things that all Catholics must believe. So the whole descending into hell thing uh i know that's kind of that's kind of a difficult one for some people i've i talked yeah. with people about it cuz they don't you don't l- like the idea of god going into hell essentially right and christ going into hell mm-hmm. um but if, if you're if he comes to redeem everything and he comes to open up the gates of heaven that also means essentially to open up the gates of hell right so it's he God God is present in fully in everything. So it makes sense a lo- a, that he would have to do something in to regards to hell.
2: Yeah, so there's, there's a few things going on with that. And one was the point you brought up. But first of all, I think we need to understand that the hell that Jesus descended into, mm-hmm. it's different than what we understand hell right now. So sure. the idea is this kind of, before Jesus Christ, there is this... For lack of a better word kind of a waiting place in the afterlife kind of like a uh what in scripture we hear as a sheol it's kind of like hades in the greek mm-hmm. this kind of murky ghosty kind of place of sub-existence yeah you see that in the psalms when uh the, uh, the psalmist says you know from from the dead who can praise you there seems be like this kind of despair mm-hmm. but also some people would say that there is kind of like a good place in sheol and a bad place And we see that in Christ's story about the rich man and Lazarus, where Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham, which is definitely a good place. And the rich man goes into this kind of fiery place. He wishes that he could just receive a little bit of water. So maybe that's talking about hell as it was then, or maybe it's Jesus referring to and using words and language to describe how it's going to be. So there's a little bit of that. So when Jesus descends into hell, he is going to the place of God-forsakenness, where people, you know, once you've died, you're gone. And so Jesus, one, experiences that. He experiences feeling of separation from the Father. He's never actually separated from the Father. He can't be. But as much as one can experience it, he experienced it. So we have this aspect of Jesus going to this, the depths of pain for us, but also literally to this place of the dead, to bring the just souls into heaven, and like you said earlier, also this is now where we have like the the hell hell that we <laughs> we know and fear mm-hmm. uh, of everlasting torment and pain. So that kind of like something new happens when Jesus dies and descends into the dead, descends into hell. That makes
0: sense. Yeah, yeah. I think I've heard that referred to as like limbo of the fathers, mm. um, where like they were kind of hanging out there until the ascension and then they got to go up to heaven. Well, and then I guess they resurrected and all that. So, but yeah, like yeah. That they were, they were in kind of a, a, you know, decently pleasant sort of waiting spot until our Lord's body assumed into heaven and it became a place that humans could go. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so that's, that makes a
2: little more sense theologically than Jesus went to the place of the damned because mm-hmm. that doesn't work so much though. Um, C.S. Lewis has this, Neat imagery, and also uh Ratzinger kind of uses it as well that it is God's love that makes hell so unbearable, right, so sure, yeah, yeah, so like if you've been avoiding God your entire life, if you've been living a life of sin, the last thing you want to experience is God, so the loving gaze of God that you see is torment to you, and we can experience this a little bit on a human level too. I was uh having mass, and we had our marriage prep class right before mass so we had all these couples who were in marriage prep mm-hmm. and i told them at, during the homily you know look at each other and it was funny to watch them because once you come face to face with someone you love it can be a little awkward sometimes that's why we we blush mm-hmm. and even when we, we we see someone who loves us and we blush there's a little bit of, of pain in that as well because we think to ourselves i don't deserve this love oh. um, we become, a, we become aware of our own sinfulness sometimes. Like, how can this good person who I love love me so much? And there's almost a little bit of a pain in that. So I think that can be a helpful spiritual analogy that puts God at the center of all things that happen after we die. It's an image that I like to use.
1: That's fantastic. I'd never heard that before. I had, Zach, is this where I have to unveil my big hell is actually a reward conversation that we had the other day?
0: Is this the one about? Yes, no, do it.
1: Oh, I, I just—I don't want to give away the. Well, ending. we we were just talking on the phone the other day, and I I Father Anthony, and please correct me if I'm speaking in grave heresy, but I went into this thing with Zach about how hell is not a punishment; it's actually just a reward. There's all you can get at your judgment is a reward, and uh, what you it would be wrong if you spend your if you enter into a competition and you have to build the best house and say you hate chocolate. But the, and at the end of it, they're like, congratulations, you won. Here's your lifetime supply of chocolate. That's, that's not a, that's not your reward, right? That's actually what you, you don't want that chocolate. So at the end of your life, even if you've been, and this is kind of a question and answer semi, I guess, slight answer to the, well, I've been good my whole life why do i need religion to go to heaven well like if you've been good your whole life and you've actively denied god giving you god as a reward is not is not a reward that's it the reward is basically the continuation of uh what you've been doing this entire time and it yeah so that was kind of my thing about how we 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 tend to look at hell as a punishment but really we should look at it as a reward for for our life
0: Mm
2: -hmm. yeah two things one matt i would never hesitate to correct you (laughs) secondly i think (laughs) no i think that's that's a good way to look at it as well Mm -hmm. um i would i wouldn't say because we use um, theological language saying that hell is punishment and that's absolutely true right but another way to another way to look at it is just what what you said Mm -hmm. um this it's fair it's just if you do not want God, God will not give you God in the end. You can use your free will to damn yourself. So right. in one sense, God is judging you, but he's judging you with truth. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting, in a sense, exactly what you want when you go to hell. There is a sense where I think that uh, can be a good way of understanding it. Yeah. So
1: good job. Oh, man, this is great.
2: I, uh, five whole Jesus points for you.
1: Wait, five what points?
2: Jesus points oh okay, yeah, no, that's great. you need a hundred of those to go to heaven, just so you
0: know that's actual even
1: theology. even all right. even watching What's too much current? good place, father <laughs> maybe <Yeah. laughs> I've got to start watching good place, <laughs> 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 okay, so that um how do we have any you you all are both much smarter than I, but this is the the creed how how are these come upon like how did these how are these doctrine And these points put into this order to proclaim the, what we believe as far as the, the originality of the creed.
2: So I can't speak so much to the history of it. uh, Other than that, it's very old. It's very original to the apostles. There's a lot of evidence to that. Mm -hmm. But if you go through the creed and when you're reading it, it was really striking me that you're kind of going through salvation history. There's a movement in the creed. So you're beginning with God, the father almighty Then you go into creation Mm -hmm. and then you go into the whole point, the summit of creation, which is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. How was he created? How did he enter? And so he almost says this entering into creation of God. So we have Jesus Christ who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered. And then you go into what did Christ do while on earth? And then you keep descending. He descends into hell. And then there's from this depth, a rising back up again. He ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Okay, then I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Oh, after the Holy Spirit, we've what does that mean for us? It means that God established the Holy Catholic Church, that we can enter into the communion of saints, that there is the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So it's kind of this story of salvation history, very succinctly summed up. It's it's the thing, it's what we believe, it's the point, it's the truth, all in this 12 nice little points so that's how i see it as far as how it's written
1: wow Love it. wow so it wasn't just randomly thrown together and forced down the throats of the people to control them for years and years and years
2: <laughs> no i'm pretty sure it's not how it worked
1: yeah i was just double checking i'm glad to hear it confirmed zach do you any of those points do you have one that sticks out for you what's going on in your brain
0: I mean, I really like just the the part about the incarnation, I guess, especially for this time of year. So when it says um, was conceived uh, by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, um, you know, that's that's my fave. <laughs> oh, I've got a question for you guys. Yeah. So at Christmas, when they were
2: doing the, the Nicene Creed, did you guys remember to kneel on that day?
0: I, I'm going to I'm going to shock you at this, Father. Yeah. But we do that at every. We do that at every single mass of the entire what? year. What? Yeah. I know.
2: Is this the tradening? Is that what it is? Kneeling instead of bowing? Well, because we go
0: to the traditional Latin mass, and so. Uh, but man. I have. There have been times when I've gone to the new mass uh, at midnight mass, and they have done the kneeling thing, and everybody gets so confused. But I'm like, oh, yes. okay, I get uh, now. I know what's happening. <laughs> uh, but then the funny <laughs> thing is, is that I'm usually listening for it in Latin, mm-hmm. and so. I still missed it that time. I think. Yeah, it doesn't but, click yeah. into your brain. That's fine. no, yeah, it does. Like the like time to kneel thing just doesn't, you know. Anyway.
2: Yeah. So for those not in the know, normally in the regular old Novus Ordo Mass, we bow during that part of the Incarnation sure. when describing the Incarnation. But for certain feast days like Christmas, um, for the Annunciation, I believe, uh, maybe for other ones too, uh, the rubrics say kneel on that day. So the rubrics change on certain days that celebrate the Incarnation.
1: Okay, specifically, oh, it, and this is not me stirring the pot, but it just makes me wonder why, it's just, why is it not that way every Sunday? I think
2: the idea of progressive solemnity, which is a little bit of a, a newer thing mm-hmm. that uh, the council fathers tried to emphasize that isn't implemented as well as it should be, that by kind of holding back some of our solemnity, we can emphasize it on certain days. So those feast days of like oh Christmas, we kneel instead of just bow, it kind of like why are we doing that? That triggers your mind to think, oh, this is about the incarnation in a particular way. So it, it teaches something by kind of having that progression of solemnity. In the same sort of sense why we during Lent there's fasting and then on Easter there's feasting. Um or there are, you know, regular feast day optional feast days. Um mandatory feast days and solemnities why Sunday is more important than a day uh, during the week so it's the whole that whole idea that in order to emphasize something you kind of have to de-emphasize other things or else it doesn't work
0: interesting right I mean I think that there's a certain amount of that in the old right I mean mm-hmm. at least you know you have you know low mass and Misa Cantata and Misa Solemnis and all that I mean you, you've got different levels of solemnity and you know um, on certain feasts where they, they haul out the, the incense. And, I mean, an, an altar boy would be better able to go into detail on that. But, I mean, there is, yeah. you know, it's more solemn on certain occasions and less on others. Sure. Okay. That's great. How solemn are you today, Matt?
1: No, I, well, uh, I'm, I'm always a respectful amount of solemn. I don't know what answer okay. to that. I don't know what answer that.
0: Is, <laughs> yes. How solemn are you today? The right amount, yeah, the exact no question, the exact correct <laughs> amount. Yes, the seasonally appropriate
1: um, <laughs> amount of solemnity here. Yeah, Father. Uh, same question I asked Zach, but to you as far as just the points. I know we talked about this, but a, a, a lot, most of them now. But what is there one that has always stuck out to you as far as one of the points in the doctrine?
2: You know what we're just talking about right now—the fact that we either bow or kneel at the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Because when we think so often about Christ coming to save us, I think the high point of that, the climax of that, is Christ dying on the cross for us. Mm -hmm. But we don't bow at that part. We bow at the incarnation. I was thinking about that actually today as I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. And it's kind of like the cross can only happen because of the incarnation. And just how flabbergasted the first century christians were and the world was at this idea that god did not just appear as man he became fully man he became fully human and i think if you miss that this is what catholicism gets so right i mean we get everything right Uh, but it's one thing we get most right is how much we emphasize the incarnation Because if you miss that one point of doctrine, it's going to change everything else. Mm -hmm. It's going to change how you do liturgy. It's going to change your spirituality, how you see the world. The one thing that makes our faith so beautiful is we take so seriously and we are so in wonder and awe that God, literally God, became literally man without losing any of his godness. And that mystery is so profound that whenever we hear it, we have to bow. We have to kneel because it's so beyond us. And it's so beyond anything we deserved. And from that, then flows the cross. From that, then flows the resurrection. Um, so, yeah, there, that's what I've been thinking about lately.
0: That's- Love it. And it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, you miss the incarnation. And you can see it took hundreds of years. Different heresies would pop up about it, and they'd have to hammer those out. And it, you can say that it seems tedious when they're talking about, oh, no, they were a heresy for saying that... Um, you know uh he was two persons instead of one person or that his divinity you know um what is it consumed or whatever his humanity i mean hammering that out was crucial because it does it changes how we understand god it changes the religion it changes how we understand man i mean the whole thing falls apart if if we don't get you know christ right
2: yeah yeah i think that point is good the fact that the first councils and the first struggles in the christian church apart from just general unity because unity's always been the struggle but apart from that and mixed up with that is like wrestling with this idea what does it mean that G- jesus became god became man the word became flesh and it was hard for people to accept so they they took easier routes they took the routes of arius saying he's just a creator or that the, he just, or as other ones, he just appeared as God because that's an easier thing for us to understand and grasp with. What is really difficult is that he is both God and man, fully incarnate. Yeah.
0: And this one's important too is like they were trying to essentially say that um, Mary wasn't the mother of God so much as she was the mother of the physical body of. I mean, and that really undermines the whole belief of who Christ was. If, if she wasn't the mother of God, then what was Jesus? You know, was mm-hmm. he? i mean you're the mother of a person and so you know it's yeah
2: yeah it's it's i took a uh, mariology class uh my last semester of seminary and it was taught by this medieval medieval, medievalist professor and he decided to teach it just because no one else was teaching it so he wasn't less a mariologist per se but just if you're a medievalist you, you know you're you're marian theology um But what I learned from that class was Mary really is the test for all theology. If you want to see what Jesus Christ did for us, what his incarnation means, Mary is like the center of this web of theology that will test how you know Jesus Christ. It will test how you know God. It will test how you know the church. And so very much, it it just made very clear for me, if you abandon Mary, you abandon Jesus. If you abandon Mary, you abandon the church because she's just this center of the web of theology and it she tests everything and proves everything just by who she was and what she did
1: well it really is the defining point between a lot of protestants and catholics right there i mean we all have our, we have disagreements about a lot of things but mary seems to that is really a bugaboo for a lot of non-catholics and you can see it around the feast days spring up on social media or other things that you, i mean people people really let the 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 weirdness fly about about Mary and it, it's, it, it really, yeah. it really gets, it really eats at him a whole bunch. I, yeah, I had, well, I, I had a buddy, not Catholic, but he, he was just like, why do Catholics care about Mary so much? And I said, Oh, I said, do you mean the mother of God? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 and then I said, I, I actually did say, I was like, man, I don't, if I don't know what to tell you. Like if you, if you don't, if you, if you don't care about the Mother of God and you're questioning why I do, like I don't know, I, I, I don't know, I I got nothing it, for you, kid. Yeah, and I think the reason
2: why you see that is, I mean, if you don't love Mary, you're going to hate her. That's what if that's you don't. Luce,
1: that's what Satan. That's Lucifer's whole thing, right? Like he has a huge. He's repelled by the name of Mary.
2: Right, and that's for several reasons. Because one. I forget. I think maybe Louis de Montfort said this, or he was quoting a saint. But uh, it makes sense because it's one thing to be beaten by God Almighty. It's another thing to be beaten by a Jewish woman. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, right. like that—that that wounds his pride in a sense more than anything else. Of course, Mary defeats Satan by um, the grace of God. But oh, I was going with someone with hating Mary, loving Mary. What was I going with that? Um, I, I don't think you can be neutral on Mary. Because she makes she helps understand how real the incarnation was mm-hmm. um, so like if you begin to respect Mary you're going to end up loving Mary and if you end up loving Mary you're going to come to the church it's just how it works so I totally get it when Protestants start like trashing Mary and it seems so weird for us because she's the mother of Jesus and on a human level like if you love your friends most of the time you love their Mothers and fathers as well Like You kind of enter into this family If you're really close friends with someone And they have a good family situation You almost become part of that family mm-hmm. And of course that's going to happen spiritually To you as well The problem is there's also this kind of human instinct Where you've been Protestant your entire life Or you've come to a conversion um, And a love to Jesus Christ in, in a Protestant faith And you're so wrapped up in that And there's a lot of good that is in that And all of a sudden Catholics say by the way, this is your mom, I think there's an instinct that says, no, you're not my real mom. Like There's just that human thing. Right. Like It's hard, it's hard to teach someone who your mom is because that's not how you're supposed to learn. You're supposed to learn who your mom is just by growing up with her and learning to love her. That's why it's really hard for converts because there's supposed to be this intimacy built in, and it's just not there yet. So it can be a struggle for converts who are genuinely trying. And it was hard for me as well. Um, I wasn't a convert, but I just wasn't very into my faith. I didn't know much about Mary until I entered seminary. And I heard all these hymns that we would sing to Mary and people praying their rosary. And I was like, what is going on? So I started reading all these books. I read the Scott Hahn book. I was asking people about Mary. And then finally, some wise old priest said, you know, you keep studying Mary. How about you just get to know her? Mm. Just pray. Just talk to her. And of course, of course, because she's our mother. So just like get to know her. Just try. Just start praying the rosary. It's okay if it's awkward at first, you know. Yeah, but I think that's the way to enter into it. And you see the kind of both the humanity and the divinity in that approach uh, and in Mary, if that makes sense. So, yeah, Mary's going to make people cranky or fall madly in love with her. It's the only way
1: that's that's the only two options zach you got anything yep. to to add to close out this 12th and final day
0: i mean i was trying to think of a third option but uh <laughs> i didn't so you know okay there is can, no uh, third option do you ever <laughs> choose yourself? it reminds me
1: of the old mitch hedberg joke where he talks about he was in a band and people either loved us or hated us or thought we were all right <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um no, I mean this has been fun. Thank you to everyone who joined us for all 12 days and thanks Father for being here with us on the very last day. I know if they um, I appreciate
2: that I appreciate that you chose me for the last day because I'm obviously the best guest you've had on so far. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you saved the best for last. Uh the Champ wouldn't have accepted any other position other than to end the show. Or so at
1: least you. the okayest for last, right?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, question um, I don't know. You You would know if this works. I wouldn't. Are you able to give a blessing over a podcast to everyone listening? Uh, or
2: does it have to be a live broadcast? You know, the Pope could do it. I don't think I can do okay. it. I think the Pope can do it. <laughs> okay. We can do this. this part. How about this? How about this? I will offer my night prayer for you guys and whoever listens to this podcast in the future so i can definitely pray for you so that is what i will do this evening i will offer night prayer for you guys and whoever listens to this
1: podcast oh that's amazing that's a great way to close this out if if anyone has made it through all 12 days congratulations i hope you're not sick of us by now um if you want to go back and listen to clerically speaking if you haven't you should uh and you can just uh, you can just search that on iTunes Clerically Speaking they're there leave a, leave a
2: yeah you can find us on Twitter at ClericalPod you can email us at ClericallySpeaking at gmail.com uh, and that's it's good and you, it's even better with that Canadian priest when he's on so if you think I'm okay <laughs> yeah what, you'll think that Canadian priest is great you're
1: at Father Sharapa on Twitter
2: yeah at, at Father Sharapa okay and uh, yeah
1: brilliant thank you Father Anthony my pleasure thanks guys this was fun yeah and we will See see you all on our normally scheduled episodes from here on out thanks gang